You are listening to the Wild Soul Podcast, a podcast for the wild ones. Join me, your host, Queen Namaste, as we embark on a journey to find our true north and our own unique path. From wild, inspired conversations to searching for life's hidden gems and meanings with a little dash of crazy in between. Because really, who doesn't want to dance to the beat of their own drum? Hey y'all, what is up? Welcome to the Wild Soul Podcast with your host, Queen Namaste. Welcome if it is your first time tuning in. Thanks for coming by. I am a yoga instructor, a blogger, and a newbie podcaster, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things wild. I interview people who dance to the beat of their own drum and are just wild souls. (laughs) And this week, I am super excited to share with you Soberlicious Mama, aka Jillian. And Jillian and I have been friends not too long, actually. I met her twin sister before I met Jillian, um, Karen Peterson. She was on the Wild Soul podcast episode four. Her story is amazing. Go check it out. And, anyways, I have Jillian on here today, her twin sister. And we talk about Jillian's story with drugs and alcoholism. We talk about how Jillian was in the sex trade industry for 20 plus years before she got sober. And we chat about what her life is like now and how she is running her own skin business. And she's just an amazing human. She has a really great story. So I cannot wait for this episode to start for you to meet Jillian. If you do not know who she is, you are going to love her. And stay tuned for the end of the episode where she talks about all her services that she offers now. I just got a facial done by her. I've been getting them quite a bit. She does dermaplaning for way below spa prices. And if you don't know what dermaplaning is, you will find out in this episode. So let's get into Jillian's story. You are not going to want to tune out because this is sick. All right, here's Jillian. Yo. Yo, yo. <laughs> I'm just following you. <laughs> Jillian, welcome to the Wild Soul Podcast. Thank you. I really like this. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, super cool. I'm super stoked to have you on. I feel like my face just feels amazing, other than the spiciness going yeah. on right now. It um, looks good. You're glowing. Thank you. Thank you. I know, babe, we've been wanting to do this for a while. Yes. And now we're finally doing it in person, which is way better. Good to hang out. Yes. So how I usually start my podcast is just ask the the question, who is Jillian? Hmm. Who is Jillian? Mm -hmm. Well, today she is someone you would definitely want to know. You would definitely want her to be your friend. You know, you would want to trust her with your skin. (laughs) Today, Jillian is a good mom. She's a good wife. And yeah, like I feel like, you know, I'm somebody that people would want to get to know today, but that's not been always the case. The old Jillian, you probably wouldn't be like sitting in my room chilling with me (laughs) doing a podcast we'd be doing some other things but wouldn't be podcasting wouldn't be podcasting no 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 let's elaborate on that okay (laughs) well okay so like my sobriety date is january 19th 2016 oh it's coming up yes so like you know god willing i'll have four years in january of sobriety continuous sobriety so you know that's kind of been I feel like I've just um started to get to know Jillian really Mm -hmm. in the last few years it's been kind of a journey of self-discovery really you know and also um just yeah like so much has happened in four years like it's just crazy to me actually even to say like Oh, I'll have four years like it's just it's really wild because it's a big deal yeah mm-hmm. like I mean like I've done a lot in sobriety like you know like I've you know gotten married in sobriety I had a baby in sobriety I um, started my business recently which we'll talk about later mm-hmm. um, you know like I, I just 
but yet I feel so so little still. Like I feel like such a little newborn, you know, out mm. in the world. So it's kind of weird. It's like I've done all this like adulting, but yet I'm still like this eleven year old girl in a lot of ways. So it's kind of an interesting place to be. But I think I'll be in Mexico actually for my four years. I'm gonna be celebrating there's like a sobriety under the sun kind of conference thing out there every January. I went last year and it was a lot of fun, so we might do that again. Think that'll be good. Oh, that'll be amazing. Four yeah. years. Cool. Um, okay, yeah, because I interviewed your twin sister. Like she was one of my first people that I interviewed, and it's funny, I know you obviously because of Karen. I yeah. Karen first. And when she said that she had a twin, I was like, No way, that's so cool that you have a twin. And she's like, Yeah, we were both like in in deep together, like we did everything yeah. together, we got yeah. high together, we got fucked up together, and now like, how, what is the story with that? Like, if you want to share, because I mm. feel like it's a big part of, yeah, your yeah. sobriety is a big part of who you are today. I mean, so. like, we, I mean, yeah, it's really hard to, like, tell my story without talking about my sister, because we're twins, and we, like, you know, we are such a huge part of each other's stories. So, I mean, we um were, like... Well, we basically like, okay, like I still remember like my first drink, for example, like I remember the first time I had alcohol, I was like 11 and we were on my parents' friend's boat and were you two together? Yeah. We were like, you okay. know, our friends, our parents' friend's boat, right? It's like sunny. We're on a boat. Like it's cool. My <laughs> parents gave us, yeah, they gave us like a Kiwi cooler to like share right so like oh your parents just gave it to you totally we're we're gonna share it we're on a boat we're having snacks like it's fun it's beautiful my parents at 11 yeah 11 I know right it's weird like my oldest is 12 and I'm like I just couldn't even imagine her putting alcohol like down her throat like I'm just like oh but yeah I mean I guess it was kind of the norm back then you know maybe I don't know in my family it was because my parents aren't alcoholics they just they drank a lot they still do. They like alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. They enjoy it mm-hmm. with, like, control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if I'm controlling my drinking, I'm not enjoying it. Right. If I'm enjoying yeah. it, I'm not controlling it. What's the point oh if my you God. control? So, but this Kiwi cooler we could have with, like, careless delight. So we got to share it, and I remember, like, feeling all warm in my belly and, like, just laughing and giggling, and it was, like, just a, it was a fun experience, right? But I still, looking back, remember after that day on the boat, like, wanting more. And, like, talking to my sister about, like, when, how are we going to get more booze? Like, that was great. Like, let's get some more alcohol, right? 11. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's the, my nephew is 11 right now, too, and he's, like, so innocent. I could never. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, more, because once you've had that little taste right? of the devil's juice, you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then, you know, like, we would start, like, stealing liquor from my parents, like, liquor cabinet. Also, note, they aren't alcoholics. They have a liquor cabinet. All right? <laughs> I don't know about any alcoholics out there, but we don't usually have liquor cabinets. <sighs> they might, we might have them, but they're empty. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, yeah, so we just, like, you know, I just, and then basically we were living, we lived in Chilliwack, and um, the thing to do out there was, like, you know, get somebody to boot for you and, like, go up to the river, like, throw down some pallets, start a fire, like, hang out. And it was all pretty, like, innocent. Um, and we did that for, like, some years. Just started getting into, like, some, like, harder things, right? Um, I think I was, like, 12, 13 when we first, like, did drugs. And, um, yeah, like, I, it's just funny when I think back, like, to, to being that young. And I remember, like, just not being, like, knowing that, like, something was different about us. Like, we joke now, but, like, it's pretty serious, like, my mom worked at community services out there. She was, like, an accountant. But, like, I think she was, like, pretty worried about us. And she brought home this, like, VHS tape. About, it was, like, some sort of, um, you know, like, the more you know, like, after school type special thing. Okay. And it was, like, meant to, like, scare us. It was, like, the, this VHS tape of these kids. She, like, put it on. And these kids, like, did LSD. And one of them drowned himself because he thought there was, like, bugs and stuff all over him. So, like, any normal kid would be watching that and probably be pretty horrified and, like, stay away from this LSD stuff, right? In the 80s, it's all the rage, right? Oh, we were like, wow, that looked cool. Like, where can we get this LSD stuff, (laughs) right? It's probably not normal reacting to those kinds of tapes. So, you know, we did find some (laughs) 
Oh. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just, I, I just, I tell that story because it's like, wow, like we were like, mm-hmm. you know, like we had very addictive personalities and very destructive ones, you know, like we were very self-destructive, like cops were at our house every other weekend, you know, my, we put my parents through hell, I'm sure, like didn't see it that way at the time, right? Just, but like, you know, just the partying and all that, like um, for, for a long time, right. All of high school, but yet mm-hmm. like, you know, you're, but, but kind of, I would do the basic, um, work to like skim by, like I graduated high school, you know what I mean? Like not mm-hmm. with honors or anything, but like I graduated, um, I just, I would do the bare minimum of whatever it took just to kind of like slide by. Not that I wasn't capable of getting A's, but I just didn't care. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? As long as I was like kind of just appeasing my parents and like scraping by, you know, like, and just looking okay on the outside, right? Managing that kind of stuff. Then it was just like, it didn't really matter what what was going on on the inside, but what was going on on the inside was that feeling of like that a lot of people share, like that I meet in the rooms of recovery, like just feeling different, like feeling alone, feeling not good enough, you know, like my parents, like, you know, God bless them, but like they were neglectful, right? Like they were neglectful parents and like, and, and they, and that's just facts, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, does that make me an alcoholic? No. Right. But like, it certainly didn't help my feelings of not being good enough and like not measuring up. And my dad was not a very loving dad. Right. I I don't think he ever like told us he loved us or hugged us or like gave us much affection or attention. And that's just the way it is. Right. I've had to come to a place of acceptance around that. But, um, so like, you know, fast forward to when I, um, when we graduated school, like basically from high school and I think we graduated in 96, my parents were like, Hey, you guys are moving. Like you can't stay in this town anymore. Like it's no good for you. And you know, we found you an apartment in Burnaby. You're going to go like you, you go to college, you know, we'll pay for everything, like whatever. And we were like, okay. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. So the two of you moved out together. Yeah. We did. And I remember like getting up to the place and like, it, it was pretty trippy because we were just coming from Chilliwack, right? And we're moving to Vancouver all of a sudden. Like, it really happened kind of suddenly. And it, But, again, they were trying to do this to give us, like, a new opportunity. Like, we weren't really going anywhere in our town. We're just running amok and, like, it just causing chaos. And mm-hmm. it was stupid, right? And uh, so they were trying to give us an opportunity. But in my, like, alcoholic brain, I saw it, again, as, like, rejection. Like, we don't want you. Like, mm. abandonment. I remember them like leaving and like my dad gave us each like a coconut beer and like we pulled out our little lawn chairs like and sat on our little deck and like drank these beers and my parents drove away and we were like okay bye all right like and then it was just like yeah starting college my sister was going to college I was going to college and we kind of made a little pact like we weren't gonna like tell anybody about our drinking and drugging because this is now going on since we're 11 we're 17 you know, almost 18 now. And, you know, we, we knew we drank differently and, and we knew drugs were bad, right? Let's not tell any new friends about that. Like we're going to go to college. We're going to be good. You know, making those packs that you sometimes make to yourself when you don't know about the disease of alcoholism. So that pack probably lasted a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then we, um, yeah, I just, I, what happened for me was, this is where my story is completely separate from my sister's, is I met a girl when I was going to college and she um, had said she was working at a topless massage place. And I was like pretty intrigued, right? Like I really, um, that really like kind of pepped my ears up. I was like, topless massage place, like extra money, like, okay. (laughs) Because my parents had agreed to pay for college for one year, our first year of college and our rent and all that. And then we're on our own kind of thing. That was the deal they made with us. And, um, anyway, so when I met this girl, like, of course I, I was like, sure, like hook me up. Right. And, um, you know, looking back, like, I just, like, if I knew that, like what my life would entail by following her and getting this job, you know, that I would be entrenched in that job for two decades. Like I, I wouldn't, I would have spun around. Right. I would not have followed her. Right. But like, I didn't know. I was like 19, I think. And, um, so anyways, I got the job obviously (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. but um yeah and then uh you know and then it basically you know like college didn't really seem as important right like were you making good money doing it yeah was it like just massage and you just had your top off like sure. where did they <laughs> like what where do you go um, to do this this yeah. in vancouver burnaby under the table yeah. i just i don't know anything <laughs> when they're like when they're like yeah rub and tuck i'm like those things actually exist yeah they oh, do yeah. oh okay. shit man Oh, girl. Oh, yeah. How much so- time we got here? <laughs> what well, kind of PG show we d- are we doing? We don't. Here? We talk about things wild, so don't feel like you need to <laughs> yeah. sugarcoat shit. If okay. You know, to help people. So, yeah, it was or- not topless. I mean, topless massage was involved. <laughs> but, you know, that's if you're making, like, the bare minimum. And I'm greedy, uh... and I like a lot of money, so... <laughs> Uh, okay but yeah so I got that job and you know like I it didn't it wasn't all bad right and like the truth was that actually like I also got a job at a nightclub right so my sister and I both worked in a nightclub we were like bartending first we were serving and then bartending and like that was a great place to like hide our drinking and drugging right because like we're partying and Mm -hmm. we're like paid to party and like everybody was the exact same as us they drank like us they did drugs like us they partied like us so it never seemed odd and we're like 19 20 21 that's, that's fun what you do yeah totally mm-hmm. we had like a different club we'd go to every night like we really experienced like vancouver in that way i don't regret like any of those times those early 20 times i do not like that was a lot of fun um you know and thank god nothing like horrific like happened to us like when when we were drinking and and driving i mean there was a couple of little fender benders and things but thank god we didn't kill anybody on the road you know because we did a lot of drinking and driving Mm-hmm. you know back then and we lived in Burnaby and we could head downtown to the clubs like every weekend and you know I'd be bartending I'd be drinking at work and I'd drive home you know like it's just mm-hmm. it gives me chills now to think about all those times drinking and driving you know yeah but um but it was a lot of fun a lot of fun you know and um but you know like as you like understand well as I understand my alcoholism today like it's progressive right so the disease like the disease is progressing and you don't really understand that you have a disease at, at this point I knew nothing about recovery like I it, it didn't occur to me like you, it didn't occur to you that you had a problem like you just not really I mean I, I eventually yeah like I mean I knew that I drank a lot I knew that I would always make promises to myself like okay like tonight I'm not gonna do any drugs like or mm-hmm. tonight I'm only gonna have two glasses of wine or tonight I'm not gonna you know do this or do that and I make these little things or I rationalize and justify my drinking and using you know I knew there was a lot of that going on I knew me and my sister we again we would like you know say okay like and we'd write lists of like oh these are the reasons why we won't drink or drug like it's interfering with our sleep or our studies or our this and that and like again I'm already mask wearing like I'm like you know I'm working in this like underworld of like escorting and I'm but then I'm working in the nightclub with my friends and my sister and then you know to my parents like I went to school for early childhood education so like I'm making up a job that I work at some daycare that (laughs) doesn't exist right (laughs) It's a lot. Oh my God. There's a lot, a lot going on, and uh, none of it's good, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, I ended up getting this job at this like really high end parlor, and it was um, called Madame Cleo's. I don't know if any of your listeners remember <laughs> that place. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was really popular on Richards Street back in the day, and um, it was like the place to work if you were me. Like once you've made it there, like in my world, like you, you know, you, you've you're good. Like, kind of like if you're a stripper, you're at Brandy's, like, yeah. you're good. Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, and it was really, it was really well run by this woman who, um, she, you know, she ran a tight ship. Like, it became a real job for me. Like, it became a real career for me. Like, I quit everything else, and I just, like, put everything into that job. And um, because, like, we had to work eight-hour shifts. We had to work on, like, a certain number of holidays. We couldn't call in sick or you're, like, suspended for two weeks if you don't have a doctor's note. Like, it was very, like, mm. it was very strict. And, like, you made so such good money. You would, like, adhere to the rules. Like, if you walked in, I was, like, blonde at the time. And, like, say she saw, like, an, half an inch of roots. Like, you're sent home. Oh, right? wow. Right? Until you get that shit fixed. Don't come back here. If you're, like, chipped a nail, like, you're, you're done. Like, goodbye. Wow. Right? Like, it was very strict and like you know it was a career like I made I worked five days a week like eight hour shifts you know night shifts day shifts whatever she kept like stats like of the girls which was not fun because then we would be like pitted against each other kind of thing so like who was getting the most clients like she would keep track of your regulars she would keep track of how many sessions you extended like got the client to stay longer um how many return clients you got like how many duos like all these things she had and she had a book actually of 
Yeah, like it was crazy. She had a book of rules. There was like 72 rules and you had to learn them when you got hired there and you had to know like them like off by heart. Like so she could be walking down the hall and be like rule number 67 (laughs) and you'd have to know it, right? Like it was crazy. And you had to do a lot of chores too. Like it's so trippy. Like (laughs) was this like under the table? Did she pay you guys like with checks? No, we were paid like from the clients, right? Oh my God, you're such a little green girl. (laughs) What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I'm scary no, here. No, no, but... no, no, I'm interested. I'm, so no, so, so like, it was this like, like technically it was obviously a business on the street. Madame Cleo's like quote unquote mm-hmm. like massage parlor. Is yeah. that what it was fronted as? Or like yeah, like was? I mean, so say for example, if if like if someone came in and chose you. Right. And if you like thought it was a cop or somebody, you're you're not offering any extra services. Do you know what I mean? You're just going to give them a massage and call it a day. Got right? it. Like, okay. you know, like all the extras are like we all had massage certificates. Like you actually could go to City Hall back then. This is like in the like late 90s we're talking. So, okay. yeah, you know, I was just to, born. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Aging myself. So late 90s, people, you could go to a City Hall, get yourself a massage certificate Right. So you have your basic massage certificate and that is what you would give if, say, like the place got raided or vice comes or they're checking things. You know, you have to be obviously a legal like Canadian citizen. You have to be 18 or older and you have to have your massage certificate. Everything else that goes on behind closed doors, like, you know, the woman, she would, you know, obviously if it came down to it, not she wouldn't know. Like she would just say like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. You know what I mean? They're only Mm -hmm. supposed to be doing massage. But I mean, we're in lingerie, like it's got theme rooms, like, you know what I mean? Like it's just, but, but it had been, it's a staple of Vancouver, right? Like when it closed down because Richard Street was turning into condos, she mm-hmm. didn't continue it because like it was the grandfathered in. Like, so it was like people turned a blind eye. Like we would see cops and judges and law- like, you know what oh, I mean? Like, pe- like nobody cared. Like Madame Cleo's was like epic, right? Like, and you wanted to work there and like, huh. you didn't care how badly she treated you. Like. You know, it's interesting because in all my time of working there, um, I nothing bad ever happened to me from any sort of client ever. Mm. Bad things happened to me from like the girls I worked with and my boss. Like she was a horrible person, right? Like <laughs> she was horrible. I wonder but, where she is now. Uh, actually, <laughs> I think she lives in Maple Ridge. Oh. Like God bless her, right? She's like she's sick, right? And like I mean, so are we, right? But. uh yeah, it was a, it was a different world for sure, right? But um, anyways, I so my my drinking and drugging was increasing, and we weren't allowed to drink and drug there. Like it was totally frowned upon. So like I would do it in secret. And like one funny thing that's kind of embarrassing to admit, but like it's kind of poignant is of of how like sick I was getting is that I would, um, somebody would book me for an out call, and so I'd go out for lunch with like a client, and then I would tell Rebecca I lived downtown at the time on um Homer between Nelson and Smythe in a penthouse might I mention <laughs> and back then the the penthouse was only 1375 wow so like, this is crazy right wow. on Homer street so I lived kind of close to Madame Cleo's and I would go on the date the out call and then I would call Rebecca and I would say oh he wants to extend like he's um, we're gonna stay out and da 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 but really I was not with the client anymore I was at my house like drinking and drugging by myself Right. And so when I was done with my with my poisoning of myself, I'd have to go in and pay her for this extended date that I've been on with myself. (laughs) Like it was just great. Like, you know, when I look at that, it's like madness. And then what what started to happen is that, you know, when people would come in, I like it's something that is called presenting. You would present on the couch. So like a client would come, all the girls have to like trot out (laughs) and present. So you sit on the couch in a certain way, like and you have to be posed a certain way and a client would pick you and whatever. And you have to be smiling and with your teeth and all this stuff. There's all these rules. And in the end, I didn't care. And I just, I knew that I I was getting a problem because I, I wouldn't, I would choose the drugs over money. Like I would look at the ground. I would not try to get picked. Like I didn't want to get picked because it was interfering with my drinking and drugging. Oh. Right. So when that started happening, I decided to move to England because what? Vancouver was the problem. <laughs> Yeah, and what? like, yes. You moved to England by yourself? Yeah. With who? Myself. No, and yourself. my sister moved to Australia. So oh, yeah, because, yeah, I know that. Yeah. She, she so we to moved okay. separately to like start again and start fresh. And like, you know, again, with that, in, a, in, in this book that I study, um, 
it's the big book. It's, it's blue. <laughs> yes. um, I don't want to break any traditions by saying, you know, whatever, yes. but everybody knows what the big blue book is. Yes. But anyways, we, we uh, what I know now is that that was a geographical cure. So like when you think that the city is the problem or your workplace is the problem or that boyfriend is the problem, like mm-hmm. you're not willing to look at yourself. And so you move hoping that things will be different this time but really you don't understand that you know there you are right wherever you go there Mm -hmm. you are so I moved to England because Madame Cleo's was the problem and my life in Vancouver was the problem and I meant to totally square up which is a working girl term Shannon if you needed to know (laughs) so I went to square up and you know like I, I got a job as a bartender in this like bed and breakfast type place in a horrible place in England called East Grinstead oh my god it was dreadful um so I went there and I had all my high resolve in the big book. They talk about like, you know, they said like, you know, that the guy like wakes up, he swears he's never going to drink again. And then shortly afterward he came home drunk. Right. And that line always sticks out to me because that's what kept happening to me. I'd swear I was never going to drink again. Mm-hmm. I really did think I was crazy because like, I didn't know about alcoholism. I had no solution. I like alcohol was my solution. So every time that I swore it off, I didn't realize that I was going to drink that day. I was destined to drink that day. I could will it away all my want and like say, I'm never going to do it again, but then I'm doing it again. And I'm thinking, like, you don't tell anybody about this. Like, you're crazy, right? So I wasn't telling people that this kept happening to me. It was, like, mm-hmm. it was so baffling. I was just, like, so confused. So now here I am in England, and the exact same thing is happening. And, you know, when the um, job that I was working at, like, just, it was really, I went, I, I chose England because I didn't want to be, like, um, having any language barriers and also because I, I thought like it was a really cheap place to fly to other places like I imagined that I was gonna like work in this job and like <laughs> travel and like meet friends everybody that worked at this particular place was like Polish or French and like spoke little to no English oh, no. I was like damn it <laughs> and it was a really isolating area it was like nowhere near anything so like I was really lonely mm-hmm. and um and then I met a, a guy who was like the pastry chef. He was like, um, he just became my friend because he could, he spoke English and we just <laughs> hung out and stuff. But anyways, I ended up quitting there and I ended up getting a job at a brothel, which they call massage parlor. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I know what that is. It's cool, my little baby hair. Um, yeah, so I got a job there and then you know what I mean? Exact same, same thing. thing was happening. Same but I'm just in England, right? And mm. so it was just horrible. And I just thought, like, I guess my life's always gonna be like this, you know? And then I, I um the guy who I told you about the pastry chef, I got pregnant with my beautiful daughter Shay and um the pastry chef. Yeah. Is he is he sorry, is he English? No, so he was he's from Turkey, but he was um raised in Britain since he was like 10 because his um, father married a British lady so he was working with me at that bed and breakfast and stuff and we were friends and hanging out and then yeah I got pregnant and then I kind of tried to like make it work with him but like I was really lonely and like then I found out that my sister was pregnant at the same time that's surprise so that was really cool so that kind of motivated me to come home so I moved back in with my parents I was like about six months pregnant and I loved it. Like, I love being pregnant. Like, Were you I, using when you were pregnant? No. So, mm-hmm. like, in the beginning when I didn't know, like, I, I'm sure, like, there was alcohol, like, and things like that. I wasn't, um, but, like, when I found out, then there was nothing, like, no smoking, drinking, everything was fine. It was really easy for me to put mm-hmm. it down because I felt finally for the first time in my life I had some sort of meaning and purpose, right? I didn't mm-hmm. feel that before, but now I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to be this mother. So, like, it was easy. It was just beautiful to feel... Like, you might have this meaning and purpose. And also, mm-hmm. it was the first time in my life since I was, like, 11 that I was actually separated from alcohol for longer than, like, a couple days, right? So that was mm-hmm. a really, like, that was a huge gift. Like, I loved waking up with no hangover. I loved being pregnant. I loved being at my parents' house. I got a job um, down the street from their house in early childhood education, which is what I went to school for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really thought, like, my life's going to change. So, mm-hmm. anyways, yeah, so I really... I I was filled with hope, right? And um and then I had Shay and you know, then I wanted... So wait did, did the mm-hmm. the pastry chef did he stay in? He never he he didn't come back with, with me, you? No. no, no. Okay. So he's just always so he's like, not, out of the yeah, picture. He's out of the picture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so then I had her and then I moved back to Vancouver when she was about three months old. And then, you know, I'm in Vancouver and the drink seems good and you know, once I have a drink, like I can't, I don't know 
how many I'm going to have. I don't know where I'm going to end up and I don't know what's going to happen next. But like, I still don't know that like anything about alcoholism. It's just baffling to me now looking back. I'm just like, wow, I wish like somebody would have came to like our schools, like how they do now. Like they come, like I speak at schools and stuff about alcoholism now and like, you know, about like recovery and everything. I wish somebody would have came to our schools back mm-hmm. then. Cause it's such a good program to have. Like I still like, I was just so lost. Right. So like once I took a drink, then, you know, my old job looks good too. I'm going to go get that back. Right. I need mm-hmm. money. Right. I don't want to like, I was running a little daycare from my home for a bit to take care of Shay and, and make some money, but that's not good enough. Right. Like my disease is restless, irritable discontent. Like it's growing. It's yeah. like waking up and I need to feed it. So like everything else goes out the window and you know fast forward like everything got bad like it was not like our early 20s and fun and carefree it was like me and Karen trying to raise two little kids and completely addicted to drugs and alcohol right and like raising them in that chaos was just like hell like I can't even tell you like how dark that was like you know what I mean but and like and people that are listening that have like you know kids and like addiction like you know like it's just some, it's just a totally different monster, right? Because you're so guilty and you're so ashamed and like, you just can't stop. And like, you want to like, you know, if the love that I had for those little girls was enough to make me stop, then I wouldn't have had to come to recovery. Right. And I understand that now, like I'm the kind of alcoholic that's like beyond human aid because I would make many promises to my little baby looking at her, like, why can't you be enough to make me stop? Like, okay, I'm going to stop tomorrow, you know? And then tomorrow would come and then it's like off again. Here I go. Mm. Right. Did you and Karen live together and raise them? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of like sisters. Then, well, yeah, right? they were. And thank God they had each other for sure, right? Like, thank God they had each other because I feel like they really, like, protected each other and helped each other. And, like, they had, like, a good, you know, they had good times, but there was a lot of bad times, right? There was a lot of us, like, running from our disease, so taking them places like, you know, we go to like Mexico for Christmas and like we where we could just drink freely and they could like go to the kids club and like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just awful. Right. And like, you know, the disease is is like horrible. Right. Like that looks like us, like, you know, feeding our disease before we feed them. Right. Like they don't deserve that. And we know it, too. Right. We don't want to be like this. Like we want to be good moms. We are good moms. You are good moms. But, like, the disease is just more powerful than, like, our desire to be good moms, you know? So, anyways, I'll get to what happened. What happened was, like, in 2011, when things were really bad, my sister decided to look up. Like, she literally, like, just was like, we need help. Like, this is, like, you know, every year we'd say, like, okay, next year. Okay, if they're going to be two, like, we better stop now. Okay, when they're three, we'll smarten up, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, they're four. And so my sister looked up, like, you know, help with drugs, right? Like, help for, like, people doing drugs and whatever, right? And whatever she searched in the search engine. And it came up with Vancouver Recovery Club, which is on Sophia and 12th, right by where we were living oddly enough so we went there I still remember the first meeting I ever went to it was like in March of 2011 and we walked up the stairs like just the right amount of like desperation and we met people and they like shook our hand I don't really remember much about the meeting but I do remember like opening the book this was like the um like the first time I ever like saw anything about the disease right and it being called a disease and like words like hopelessness and like you know, like lo- lack of power and like, you know, just like, it was so crazy. Like, and I remember people were nice to me. I remember people were like shaking my hand and welcoming me. And that was really cool. Cause I didn't feel like very deserving of that. Like I couldn't even like look people in the eye at this point. Right. Like we were just living so like horribly. And, um, so yeah, so that, that meeting was great. And we like left full of hope and like, you know, but again, like, you know, we just we weren't done right Mm. we weren't done but we did want to get off the drugs so that was cool so we would go to these (laughs) meetings we would go to these meetings with like our water bottles filled with vodka and like be talking about like how to get off cocaine (laughs) and then like after a little while this lady who like was running the Vancouver Recovery Club at the time her name is Colleen I love her so much she gave me my first big book and she was like yeah you need to read this find somebody to take you through this bible like front to back please. And I was just like, looked at it. I was like, uh, no, like I'm, um, I'm a drug addict. Like I just, I don't have a problem with alcohol. Like, and she was like, "Mm, take it. Right. (laughs) And so I took it, but I never really did anything with it. Like, 
you know, what it looked like for me when coming into recovery was like a lot of relapsing, a lot of getting a couple months here, three months there, six months there, relapse, relapse, stay away from the program completely, Mm -hmm. don't go around, okay, then go to some meetings, you know, and just kind of one foot in, one foot out, and it doesn't work that way, right, and also, I wasn't willing to give up my, like, my career of my escorting, right? That had completely consumed my life, and it was all I knew. It was, like, how I supported my daughter. It was, like, my whole identity. It was all I ever did. I never, like, I never did anything else, and I was terrified to, like, let that go. I did not know, like, who I was, like, without that career and that lifestyle, right? I was really, just as much as I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, I was addicted to the lifestyle that that brought, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, like the money, the travel, the like, you know, like whatever the things and stuff. So like when I came to recovery, I was looking for the differences instead of the similarities. Like I was like, oh, well, that person was like homeless. Oh, that person didn't have anything. And that person, you know, but it's like, yeah, I had things when I got there, but I didn't have like a soul. Right. It's like my bottoms were like more emotional and spiritual bottoms than they were like financial, for example. And I used that to like separate me for a while. Like, well, I'm not as bad as those people. But it's like, yeah, I am, right? And, and, and like, oh, well, I'm not doing that. It's like, yet, right? Like, just give me a minute, I'll get there, yeah. right? <laughs> so I regret that. And when I work with people today, I always tell them to just keep looking for the similarities rather than the differences because, like, it really doesn't matter. Like, we're all the same and the feelings are the same, right? But, like, you know, I was really broken and I really had no self-esteem and no self-worth, which is really interesting because I always thought I was doing the escorting like it was making me powerful but Mm -hmm. like really I didn't realize that like I was just pandering to like men and stroking their egos and like it was all about them and where is there any room for me there's not right and at the end of my um like using and drinking and and all that like I if I'm honest like I, I worked at the Swedish Touch for a little bit and things like that but in the very end, I was not, like, employable, right? Like, mm-hmm. so... Um, like, the drugs and alcohol just took Yeah, off. like, what that looked like was, like, I had a handful of regulars, thank God, right? I, but I, I, would, I probably wouldn't be welcome at, like, parlors that I had once worked at. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that was my demise. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, it's you got to get honest about that stuff, right? I remember, like, I was doing a practicum once because I, I, oh, I have four diplomas. So I kept going back to school for things. <laughs> no student loans. Um, but that was more to just get people off my back, but I did go to school for social services, right? Cause I wanted to help others. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like high on oxys, like, hello. <laughs> um, but I were, I did this practicum at wish, which is, um, in the downtown East side, it's a place like a, for women entrenched in the sex trade. And I remember working, it was one of the turning points kind of in my story. I was doing the, the kitchen, like the dinner thing and serving the meals and a woman came with her tray and I looked up and it was this girl that I had worked with at Diamond Body Care like years and years and years ago and she was pregnant and she was on heroin and she was homeless and she was getting the meal right and she took the tray from me and she didn't know who I was but I remembered her and I was like that's you like that just that's gonna be you right like and I was just like it was crazy I was like wow right Mm -hmm. like I remember that and I met my now husband and I no I just like around that time when I was going to school for social work and because I was kind of trying to cling to the program but not I was like white knuckling it like I wasn't getting a sponsor I wasn't doing the steps I wasn't really coming to meetings I wasn't hooking in with I wasn't helping anyone I was like okay I'll come take what I need okay like clean up a bit okay go back out there right yeah and you know that I don't recommend that (laughs) I recommend you like really get your feet in the program and like you know listen and get a sponsor right because I was too I didn't want to get a sponsor because I didn't want to tell everything right because I thought I was so ashamed but anyways I met James and um you know once I started hanging around with him like and the first time we drank together he was like whoa like you you're you're sick (laughs) I was like oh god I was like well what happened because because I was just still going right like he was done yeah and I'm just going and he was just like oh my god and then I was like well like I used to go to these meetings but like I don't go to them anymore like they were kind of bullshit he's like you need to go back to those meetings I was like what he's like yeah like you're gonna lose your kid and like I'm not gonna stick around if you don't go get help so oh wow I went back to the meetings and then 
I got pregnant with um, our daughter, Jada. And so again, I was able to like stay sober, like in my pregnancy, I was going to meetings, I even like volunteered. And I was like, I had like seven months sober. And then I had her and then the exact same thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. history just repeats itself. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't still understand the like level of my alcoholism. And I didn't understand that, you know, I, I can't do that job and live that life and then try to be in God's will, but like still try to be in my will. It's just such a difficult place to be, right? I wasn't ready to fully surrender, so I just kept going. And then, um, you know, like I'll just like tell you at the end, there was like, you know, after like a suicide attempt and then still drinking, still drugging right? All the guilt and shame. Like that's like, I'd get a little bit sober and then I just couldn't even look at myself. I couldn't even stand myself. I couldn't even believe that's who I had become. Like I just hated myself so much. So I go back out because it's easier. Like I just want to self medicate. Like I need to numb all this. This is like, I can't do it. Um, and when I had completely like destroyed my family and like all hope in them. And like, I just remember Shay and James little faces, like they were just crushed. Right. And I'm just going and tearing things apart. And, uh, and then, um, you know, what brought me to my knees was actually the, this is just crazy. I, I, it's God, right. This is just, it has to be God because I had been on this long tear. And then basically James said, like, I'm not going to let you drink today. Like I, he woke me up in the morning. He's like, I'm going to, we're going to go to the doctor. You're going to get abuse and you're going to take it. And you're, I'm just going to hold your hand. Right. I'm just going to get you one day sober. What's abuse? So abuse is like what they give you to, um, kind of deter alcoholics. Oh, like drinking. if you drink it, then you throw up kind of you thing? You throw up, you shit your pants, like okay. you're super violently ill, you know, <laughs> it's supposed to just deter you and scare you from doing it. Okay. Um, so we got that and talked to my drug and alcohol doctor. And then basically he was on the phone back and forth with my now sponsor, um, chatting with her. Cause I had met her, um, at this women's retreat a while ago. So he reached out to her and he was talking to my sister who was sober. Like they were all trying to plan. Maybe I'm going to have to go to treatment, right? Maybe I'm going to have to get sent away and be away from my kids and him and whatever it's going to look like. Um, but then we just, I just was following him around that day. I was just so defeated and I kind of was just hanging on. And then that night, like, um, social services came to my house to like apprehend the kids because someone had called them. And so like car 87 came, which I already knew what that meant because I was in social services for school. And I remember learning about it. And it's like when the cops and the social worker come and like your kids are getting apprehended, right? Like there's no like visit. It's like the kids are going, but because... Like, and I always get super emotional because it's like, that's, was the end for me. That was January 19th, right? 2016. And like, I was putting the kids to bed and I still remember the knock at the door. And then they said that and I was like, oh my God, right? Like they're going to take the kids. And I had one day sober because of James, right? And I opened the door and I was like, I'm sick. Like I need help. Like come in, right? And I remember like, I, I literally was like on my knees, like crying And they came in and like, they talked with me and because I like had the willingness to be honest about like my struggles and because I was one day sober, they didn't take them. Right. Like, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. And like, so then, sorry. No, don't be sorry. And then like that night, like, um, I just said to God, like, cause I've always believed in God. I just didn't think God like wanted me. Like, you know, I just turned my back on God because of all the stuff I was doing. But like, I said to God, like, God, please. Like, I don't want to go to treatment. I don't want to lose my kids. Like, I don't want that to be my bottom. Like, I'll do anything. Like, I'll do whatever it takes to, like, make this my life, right? And stay sober. And, like, I heard it loud and clear. Like, you can't work anymore, right? And, like, I'll never forget that. And I was just like, okay. Like, I'm done, right? Like, I'm totally done. So I, like, called the couple regulars that I had. God bless them for even, like, staying with me. Wait, did yeah. James know that you had regulars? He, yeah, he did. But, like, you know, he he was like my parents, right? Like, he does not condone it, but he didn't condemn it either because I'm a selfish alcoholic. So when I met him, and same with to my parents, oh, you want to, like, you know, you have something to say about it? You'll never see your grandkids again. Mm. I mean, I'm selfish, right? And to him, too. Oh, you want to be with me? Like, this is who you knew this when you met me. Right. Like, you know, no, selfish, self-centered, right? Self-seeking, that's the core of my disease. Mm. So, um... You know, like, and, and so, yeah, and I've caused a lot of damage there, right? But, like, luckily, he's an amazing guy that's strong and the kind of partner that I need, right? And he, like, 
yeah, I mean, I'm sure he wanted that for me, but he didn't want to be the one to, like, make me not, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it all happened the way that God planned it to happen, right? And so, like, I was done that day, and, like, ever since that day, like, I've never worked, I haven't drank, I haven't drugged. Like, I've been, I got, so Heidi is my sponsor, I, like, dove into the steps, I did a set of steps that completely changed my life, completely. Like, I had, like, this spiritual awakening where I just, like, my whole world was, like, the same. Like, you know what I mean? James still my partner. My parents are still my parents. Like, my sister's still my sister. Like, these are my, like, you know, but I looked at everything differently. Like, I had a total shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, like, stopped playing the victim. And I was just, like, you know, took responsibility for, like, my life and, like, the choices I've made. And, like, what I've learned most is that, like, like I love to, like be vulnerable because I find a lot of bravery in that you know so like when I I remember when I would come around and I started speaking at meetings and I would share about escorting and gr- like women would like shame me after or tell me not to speak about that old timers yeah oh old timers and they like fuck off <laughs> yeah right because now you know what I the women that I work with and the girls that I sponsor come from the same place as mm-hmm. me right and it's like you know just like you wouldn't listen to somebody that's never done drugs about how to get off drugs you know, yeah. you, you wouldn't, if you were still struggling in the escorting world, you're not going to like take advice from somebody that's never been there. Right. So I help mm-hmm. a lot of girls that are still doing it. Right. And I support them and like, I, it's their journey. Right. And maybe they can stay sober and do it. That just wasn't my story. But like, I help a lot of girls exit out of the sex trade as well. And I help them like, you know, like we make resumes, find jobs, go to school. Um, like it's just totally come around for me, like full circle. And I'm so grateful for that because you know, like one of the promises that we learned is no matter how far down the scale we've gone, we'll see how our past can benefit others. And that's completely come true in my life, right? Like, because otherwise, without that promise, it's like, what I would struggle with was like, oh, you wasted 20 years, you know what I mean? Being a prostitute Mm -hmm. and being addicted to drugs, like what a waste, like your life is so shitty, like you're so disgusting, you know what I mean? That's where my mind can take me. And then I'm using again, because I got to numb all that. But right. no, that promise tells me that like this is all supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. This is my life and, that I, and this is my life's work. And there's all a reason why that all happened the way it did. And it's for me to share my message and help others. Also with the shame and guilt that moms already feel, like couple that with like, you know, escorting, <laughs> drug addiction, alcoholism. Like I have to take that heavy armor off so I can breathe. Right. And my oldest, like she knows everything. And I said to her when I was, cause I wrote a, a chapter for a book and, um, I said, like, if I write about this escorting stuff and if I write about my story and I'm honest about it, like, can I do that? Will this bother you? What if a kid comes up to you at school and is like, oh, your mom is a prostitute or blah, 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 right? Like, you know, you never know. Mm-hmm. Or, or like, you know, social media, I use my Instagram to help a lot of people and right. as a platform. So I do talk about it. Is that going to embarrass you? She was like, looked at me like my little fucking kid and was like, no mom, because you don't live that way anymore. And that's pretty badass. I was no. like, oh, I love you. So yeah. she, does, she, and she actually comes to schools with me sometimes. And she speaks to kids about what it's like to grow up in an alcoholic home. She helps others. Like, you know, this is the part of it too. It's like, she's a little survivor, right? Like she should not be as like normal as she is. She's incredible, right? She's a little miracle. And now I get these two uh, other daughters and they're like my little buddies and like you know like the the little one that I had in sobriety my last baby like she'll never have to see me drink or drug hopefully if I keep doing this thing one day at a time right Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful gift you know we're about to go to Hawaii on a little family vacation and you know like I love Hawaii I I used to go there all the time loaded and like with tricks and stuff and now it's like I, I get to go there and see it for the first time with new eyes like sober eyes I go to meetings there I'm all stoked to find my meetings like it's like who am I right and I just like I just love it right and then you were here earlier for your facial like now I just opened that business and which I love right because that was one of the things I went to school for was aesthetics right just get people off my back I did love skin but (laughs) I I have a lot of diplomas to get people off my back yeah but that was one of the things I did and then you know God aligns all these people in my path in my life and I met a beautiful woman named Suji and she like sparked such like kind of belief in me like I just like you know I just thought like well you know I'm a mom and that's working for now and she was like but you love skin and you know so many people and like you know let me train you in a couple of new things and get you excited about it again and I'm thinking like why does this woman want to help me it's like she's like she's one of the workers like from God right like God sends all these people in your paths you just have to be open to like look for them and because of her I like started this business and that's like 
you know, going well. I started in March and like, it's, it's nice for me to have like my own income at like, you know, a square job, you know, like I'd never be able to like, I don't know if I'd be able to go work at like a, like at work for someone and work in an environment. Like, I don't know what that would look like. I don't think I could, like I spent 20 years in the sex trade. So what, like working at a normal job, what, what would that look like for me? I don't know. I get all sweaty thinking about it. I'm like, I, I can't, I simply can't. Right. Relating with people and people don't know where you come from, but like in my spa room, I can just be myself. Right. And I'm not for everybody. I'm totally not right. This talk, this podcast isn't for everybody, but for the people that it's for, like, you know, like, I hope you get something from it, right? Like, and, and you know, if you're a, a parent and you're struggling with addiction, like, it's not too late to turn it around, you know? Like, I used to think, like, oh, I'm, I've damaged her and, like, you know, like, oh, it's too much damage done and I might as well just keep going and things like that. And it's like, no, like, it can be amended, right? I make a, like, living amends to the, those girls, like, every day that I stay sober and to James too, right? that I'm a different kind of woman, right? One that he can be proud of, right? One that he can stand beside and like, you know, one that he trusts me. And like when I go somewhere, I return to my family in the same way I left them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's such a gift, right? They, they are beginning to trust me again, you know? That's really cool, right? It adds to your self-esteem, right? And where my self-esteem was so lacking, it's like now I do all these cool self, like worthy things. Like I sit with you, like, you know what I mean? We get to hang out and we we're doing this podcast that hopefully like helps others, right? You're such a bright spirit. You just celebrated a year of sobriety. Like that is incredible, right? Like people are so beautiful. And like, you know, you came to my sister's life and now you're in my life. And it's like, I love it. Like the universe just aligns like-minded people and together, like, you know, we, we can recover. We don't have to live a life of shame and regret. Like we can, understand that like our past is just our past and one thing that I really learned this year is like one of the other promises is about like we will come to know a new peace and a new happiness or a new freedom or something like that but it's like for me it's like oh I don't have all the answers and that's my new peace and happiness right like I used to always think like I always had to provide everything like there's never going to be enough like no one's going to like me and like you know what I mean I'm just my brain is is going off about all these things and it's like I don't have to provide everything and who cares if people don't like me and you know I don't have to have all the answers when I sponsor girls like I don't know what I'm doing half the time I got to call my sponsor and then she might have to call her sponsor like we do it together right Right. and that's really cool too I started a meeting last year in October we just celebrated one year like I started this new meeting and it's just up the street from my house and it was four people and now we had to get a bigger church Shannon (gasps) because it grew so much that our room wasn't big enough for us anymore so we had to move to a bigger church because now there's like 140 people no way yeah it's really cool no women and men it's called page 13 which is like from the big book um my favorite page what's the page Page 13 why I wanted to name the meeting page 13 was because I really feel like it's kind of um where Bill who's just like me I'm basically Bill if you have a problem with drinking, you're probably Bill, too. Okay. Um, okay, page 13. It says, There I humbly offered myself to God, as I then understood him, to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away root and branch. I have not had a drink since. Right. So it's kind of like the steps all wrapped into one. And like, that's a big statement right there. Right. Like he admitted to God that he can't do it alone, that he's nothing and he needs God's care and guidance. And then he told him all his sins. Right. Asked for his care and direction, became willing. Right. To have him take away all his sins. And he hasn't had a drink since. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. Right. That's crazy. So, page 13, Saturday night, 7.30. Come sometime. Maybe you'll be the speaker. We have guest speakers on the last (laughs) Saturday of every month, and I'd love for you to come share your story one time. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, And that's funny. Instantly, when when you say that, share your story, I'm like, my story's not good enough. Yeah, right in our heads. (laughs) I know. Because the thing with alcoholism, what I understand now, too, is like it's the disease of thinking right? Our disease centers in our mind. So like even now, even though I have almost four years sober, it's, it's, I don't think about drinking and drugging anymore. I really don't like, I mean, just for today, like that kind of obsession has been lifted, but I I think 
strange things. Like my thinking is skewed, right? And I still get the whole like not doing it right, not good enough, not measuring up, like not a good enough mom, like, or whatever. Like, but the, you know, the thing is, is that I also know that I can like, I've lost hold of like my creator's hand when I start to get into that thinking. Mm-hmm. And like, it doesn't have to be like, so like people always get a little bit weird about the whole God talk and stuff. Like a lot of people in recovery are like, ah, oh, like, you know, but it's like, it's a spiritual program and like, yes, it says God in the book, but you don't have to like, it doesn't have to be like a punishing God or something that you grew up with. You just have to make an idea of a power greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you remember how I was telling you in the story of before, like how Shay and Presley, like they're not enough to make us stop. Right. Even though we love them, but they're human, right. We're beyond human aid. It says in our big book, like no human power can save you. So you have to find a power greater than yourself. Right. It could be anything. It just can't be you, right? So, I don't know. I think also, like, the whole point of the big book is finding a power greater than yourself, you know? And so, for me, when I get into that, they call it, like, stinking thinking. And when I get into that place in my brain, I know I've let go of God's hand. So, I just mm-hmm. have to reach for it again. And then I just yeah. have to say, like, God, help me, right? And sometimes that's all I say, right? A lot of people do a lot of different prayers. But, like, at night, I'm just, like, thank you for my sobriety. And in the morning, I'm, like, you know, please direct my thinking that I can be of more value to my fellows. And help me to stay sober today, you know? And so far, so good. I'm just so happy for you. <laughs> like, honestly, listening that story and just the ripple effect that your sobriety has and, like, the difference that you're making and fucking from four people to, like, 140 yeah. in a church, that's so dope. That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah, and so, to backward it a little bit, you um, stopped doing your job and then you were just being a mom for a mm-hmm. bit and then yeah you said this year recently you started the yeah precious gem skin work work yeah. <laughs> yes um precious talk? gem skin work talk yeah. a little bit about so that so i so i called it that because mm-hmm. our middle daughter jada she we always call her gem not that i like have favorites or like anyone <laughs> better than anybody let's be clear they're all my favorites but she was when she was born she looked like a gem like she was just you know how newborns are like hideous yeah a lot yes. of them right <laughs> yeah. she like came out looking perfect she was like I like her firstborn photo that's like not even professional is like she's just glowing around her with this like mm. it's trippy and she's so beautiful like her skin's just gorgeous she's not all smushy and weird like she's just beautiful so we mm. we're like oh my god she's like our precious gem so we always call her Precious Gem. So then, of course, like that stuck out to me when I was choosing a name. I was like, oh, I'm totally calling it Precious Gem. So mm-hmm. um, I did. And then she kind of like um, like helped me with my room. Like she loves the color teal. So like I kind of picked out tealy things and whatever. And like she kind of was like involved in that. It's really cute. And um, Shay and I actually like she so Shay makes lip balms and like lip scrubs and so she wants to like you know get labels and like I'll give them out to like clients and stuff eventually but anyway so that's how she's kind of involved and she she calls her lip balms and her lip scrubs resilient beauty Mm. (laughs) she's so resilient I know so it's really cute so it's kind of a family biz you know you were here today and the kids are coming in and out and whatever and that's awesome yeah it's just whatever and if you if uh have some clients that come and they have kids they can like bring them whatever chill hang out um, I do offer like discounted rates for moms in recovery. So like, if you feel like you can't afford a facial, like just talk to me, like, you know what I mean? We, we don't want to make like money a barrier for you to have some self care. So mm-hmm. there's cool. that. Um, yeah. And you do dermaplaning, which a lot of like people don't do. Mm-hmm. So talk about some of the stuff you offer because before I was like, what the fuck? I yeah. did not care about my skin. It was really funny. I, when I wanted to start a podcast or a blog back in 2018, I was like, hey, who's, like, a good blogger? And, like, let me copy their shit. (laughs) And then I found this girl. I don't know if you know her. Her name's Lauren Everts, and she created the Skinny Confidential blog. Oh, okay. And she's almost got, like, a million followers. She's been doing it for eight years, and she lives the life now. Yeah. Um, But she had a podcast, and she'd always talk about skincare, and then she got me really obsessed with skincare. I'm like, okay, I guess I should fucking, like, do something with my face. And then she talked about dermaplaning, and I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And that's what cool. celebrities do all the time. Right. I had no idea. Like, Same. I didn't know so either. Like I went for, I went to aesthetic school in 2000. So obviously like didn't know anything about dermaplaning, but when it was introduced to me, I was like, same thing. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Why have we not been doing this? It's yeah. like a medical grade blade. 
you take it <laughs> like basically a scalpel but like so you're it's it's like people liken it to shaving but it's not it's like you know you're holding it at a certain angle the the sharpness of it is like basically removing all the um dirt and oil that are trapped also the vellus hairs so like the peach fuzz it gets rid of all that that is kind of like trapping the dirt and oil in the first place so it's a really good cleanup and it's a like manual form of exfoliation so mm. um i love it and also it helps your products penetrate better because they're not just sitting on the surface of those vellus hairs. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I spend money on skincare. I want it to be absorbing. So since I started dermaplaning, I do notice my products working a lot better. And if you wear makeup, your makeup goes on so much smoother. It's just really nice for the skin. You get, like, kind of an instant glow. And I like to follow that. I also offer nano needling, which is um, not – it's, like – kind of the baby of microneedling really. Microneedling's more of where you're actually like injuring the skin. You know, there's numbing cream involved and blood and like downtime. <laughs> Nano needling, there's none of that. Um you might be a little bit red or pinkish for like an hour or two, but like you can infuse the skin with different cocktails of ingredients depending on the person's skin type. So when you do a skin analysis, you know what kind of um, you know, serums and things you want to use. Which is what I like because when you're doing microneedling, not that it's not good, but microneedling I feel like is more for people with like really pitted skin or like acne scarring and you're stuck using one serum for everybody. Whereas with now needling, I can cocktail it like kind of like a science thing and like create <laughs> my own cocktails of skin stuff. Skin vitamins. Alcohol. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so we're still playing mm-hmm. just differently. But yeah, so a nano needling, and then I'm doing this thing called BB Glow, which is I think I'm like the one of the only home spas to do BB Glow. It's where you get like a natural um kind of BB cream look, like um as if you're wearing like a tinted moisturizer. So that's kind of fun. Um, and then also I do BB Glow serums, which I did to you today, right? So you get like a real luminous, like glowy skin. Um, I use a 24 karat gold one on her with peptides. So I have gold in my face? Yeah. You're gold, baby. Yeah. You're gold. <laughs> Your money, kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's lots of fun. Um, what else do I do? Just like basic custom facials too for like $50. Um, oh, I just ordered a bunch of hydro jelly masks. So I'm a little late to the party on that, but they're like amazing. Oh, if you see, oh my God, <laughs> you can put it over the entire face. So like not for people with lashes like myself, but okay. like. Yeah, you can put it over the entire face, and then it's like a peel-off one. There's like a vampire one. Oh. There's like an elderberry one. There's like, They're all kinds. I'll message you when I get them in. Like, they're amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'll just do everything that you do, sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I trust you. Just follow me. Yeah. <laughs> right? I trust you, right? That's a statement, like, that I didn't hear for four years, so Aww. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of fun. And I do have a website. If anyone wants to go on it, it's mm-hmm. just preciousgemskinwork.com. So you can kind of see everything that I do on there and the pricing and stuff like that. Although if you follow me on Instagram at Precious Gem Skin Work, I do a lot of promotions and specials. So like right now, for example, I team up with somebody in the community every month. And this month it's um, the owner of Crystal Fit Power Plate Studio. And she's offering three free Power Plate sessions to the winner. And you get a free um, dermaplaning nanoneedling combo with me. So that. it's kind of fun. Yeah. Last Yeah, you always do you yes, always do stuff. Yeah, it was somebody, right? Last yeah. one month it was like um a hair thing with one of my hairstylist friends and um yeah, I've done some stuff with like Feed Me Fit, uh the meal prep company and yeah, it's just lots of fun. I really like um you know, having this skin work business because I feel like it's like so much more than skin work too. Like I feel like I can just be myself for once and like again, like maybe you won't return. <laughs> if you don't like Jesus tunes and me talking your ear off. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm like we listen to Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean I get to meet all kinds of cool people. Like I had a client um that's like a naturopath and she does like vitamin medical pushes. Like so she basically mainlines vitamins. Mm-hmm pretty dope mm-hmm. yeah and then I met I had another client that like does so much giving back to the downtown east side and she makes like these beautiful feather um necklaces earrings like statement pieces and they're made out of rubber she oh. teaches other women how to sew like she's just incredible oh my god and like I met another woman who like has like she broke her neck when she was a kid like she's just a survivor like I just meet all these different mm-hmm. people in my when they're on my in my treatment room and I get to like kind of be a part of their 
like journey and we you know I'm taking care of their like skin and stuff and they're kind of taking care of my heart because they share a little bit of themselves because I do and when you give people the kind of permission to be themselves a lot of cool stuff happens Mm -hmm. so I just get to meet like a lot of neat people so feeling pretty lucky it's amazing Julian yeah um before we end it like a couple questions okay what has <laughs> I was like is she gonna are you gonna ask me questions and like prompt me and cue me she's like you'll probably just talk I'm like no I don't have anything to say for an hour now it's like I, I can't stop I know sorry. <laughs> sorry no 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 this is perfect I'm like, I like it when I don't talk <laughs> I know like you know it's like pulling teeth and you have to ask keep asking these no. questions and I'm like Fuck. just leave it to the twins yeah. <laughs> the twins like the sounds of their own voice um what has you think been like the number one gift that sobriety sobriety has given you Mm, number one or a couple i'm sure there's probably so many but if you could narrow it down like yeah or do do you think that your life would ever be like this no like you get a brand new life right and i think the gifts like will keep revealing themselves like i like i mean just the way that i'll i'm able to like deal with like my life today, right? Showing up in my life. Like it sounds weird, but like, you know, when you're in addiction, like you just can't show up in your life, right? Like I can't, like I missed weddings, like of friends, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because I, like I would drink the night before saying I'm only going to have one and then I'm still up and then I'm in no shape to show up to your wedding. Like Mm -hmm. that shit just blows my mind, right? Like I just, I have the ability to be present and show up in my life and show up for the lives of others, right? My friends, right? Like it's just, that's a huge gift um showing up for my family like being of service to my family and um you know just being of service to others right like you know I feel like that's what God like you know how I talked about not having any sort of meaning and purpose before and feeling Mm -hmm. kind of like you know just what is the point of it all and that kind of stuff it's like yeah of course like the meaning and purpose and like uh, being a mom is a huge gift but like my primary purpose is to carry the message and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. It's not my only purpose, right? Like I'm a mom, a wife, a business owner, but it's definitely my primary purpose. So like that is a gift in itself that I can be of service, like that I get to meet people like you that ask me to come share my story or I go, like I do a service position at Heartwood at BC Women's Hospital and we do a panel there like on the last Thursday of every month. That's a gift. Like all these service opportunities are gifts, right? Because I feel like, you know, God wants me to help others by like and every time I share my story I heal a little bit you know what I mean like I get to heal a bit and I get to be more comfortable with it and I get to accept it right because serenity is what we get when we quit wishing for a different past so Mm. that's just you know yeah so many so many gifts right and they keep coming the relationships that I have today like with women right my women friends in recovery and just like you know my friends in general it's like wow like women were my competition for like my whole life and now they're like my allies it's like you know, what like a feeling. Oh, it's great. It's <laughs> so good. And I'm like going to like out for dinners with them. I'm not like, okay, like running into somebody and like having to tie my hair back and kick my shoes off and like you're about <laughs> to fight, you know? People are like welcoming me and happy to see me. They're not like, where's my fucking money, bitch? <laughs> it's a whole different life. Whole different life, people. Oh, so life. I just can't believe it. Like I just, sometimes I just like lay in my bed and I'm mm. like, wow, like me and my sister talk on the phone a lot and like kind of sucks that she doesn't live here now because like we're sober together and we mm-hmm. don't really get to spend a lot of time in sobriety together because we live far away now but we talk on the phone and we're just like wow right like this is crazy mm-hmm. you know I'm going to the pumpkin patch with the two littles on Thursday as a volunteer like I never did that stuff right like yeah. I never I was too fucked up like yeah. it's gifts all the it's time there's gifts, gifts right? of being present yeah do you have like if anyone's listening struggling with it do you have any words of advice or just like you know reach out like you know get to a, a meeting um you know and if you if you think you have a problem with drugs and alcohol you probably do mm-hmm. right um you know, you're welcome to contact me on my Instagram, Soberlicious Mama. Like, I, I get a lot of direct messages through there. I even, like, found a couple sponsees on there and stuff. And people that are just curious about, like, sobriety and recovery and, you know, what that looks like. Or if you just want a safe place to chat about what's going on with you. And, you know, like, it's, you're not alone. It's never too late, you know. And, you know, your kids will always love you. And, like, if you stay sober one day at a time, that's your living amends to them and they will forgive you, you know. Mm-hmm. It's never too late. It's never too late. You're never alone. Mm-hmm. Well, never alone.
Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rob's always right there by his side. Yeah, that's right. Jillian, you're fucking amazing. I love you. Love Thank you. you. Hugs. Thank you for my face work, too. <laughs> a little skin work, a little podcast. Yeah. yeah. Get in her room. Yes, her the treatment room. Yeah. Let her do your face. <laughs> oh, uh oh. oh. <laughs>